what I've told all my kids is grades are not important. Grades are unimportant. Now, it'd be helpful for you to not flunk out if we're paying for your school, but you know, they're not important. The only thing that's important is what did you learn today that could be turned into an action that got a result? Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Dr. Mark Goulston. Dr. Goulston is an executive coach, psychiatrist, former UCLA professor in psychiatry, and former FBI hostage negotiation trainer. He is the author or co-author of nine books with his book, Just Listen, Discover the Secret of Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone, becoming the top book on listening in the world. He hosts the My Wake Up Call podcast and co-hosts Hurt Less, Live More with JJ and Dr. Mark for UK Health Radio. In this episode, Dr. Goulston shares specific strategies on how we can not only support our own mental health, but also our children's. And when I say specific strategies, he gives you exact language that you can use with your kids at different stages of life. He also shares specific language on how couples can better communicate. I left my conversation with Dr. Golston with the invaluable confidence to tackle tough conversations, not only with my partner, but my kids as they grow older. Who wants to learn with me? Dr. Wilson, I'm so happy to have you on. We actually, we were basically just saying we have to start hitting the record button because you were giving us way too much good information before we even started. Um, But I'd love for you to start off with just telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey and what drew you to helping people with their mental health and honestly writing your numerous books that have helped so many people. Well, you know, we all have a backstory and a lot of us shrink types have a backstory that pushed us to becoming shrink types. So uh, one of my backstories is that uh, I dropped out of medical school twice and finished. And I dropped out not to see the world, but because I had untreated depression. And they allow you to drop out once because, you know, students get, you know, stressed out. And I dropped out once, and then I came back, and then I was highlighting all the books in yellow, and I wanted to drop out again, and the medical school wanted to kick me out because I I met with the head of the school, and he, uh, I don't even remember it, but he's about, you know, fundraising. And I can see from the business side of my head right now you know, many years later, that they wanted to cut their losses. This kid's not going to finish school. You know, let's cut our losses. So I don't remember meeting with him because I was at a low point. And he sends a letter to the dean of students who cares about students, probably because he knew he was going to kick me out and he didn't want me to do anything self-destructive. And the dean of students calls me and says, I have a letter here from the main dean. You better come in here. And kid, I was at a low point. And the dean of students who cares about students hit me with the trifecta of hope. And this is what it looks like. Uh, We read the letter and it's from the main dean and it says, I've met with Mr. Goulston, we talked about alternate careers. I'm advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. And I'm at a low point. And I said to the dean of students, what does this mean? He said, you've been kicked out. And I kind of cratered in front of him. I went, it was like a gunshot wound to my abdomen. And I know what that feels like because I almost died from a perforated colon 15 years ago. And I, and I think the raw vulnerability touched him. And here's the trifecta of hope. He said, Mark, you didn't mess up. 
you're passing everything, but you are messed up. And here's the first flag of the trifecta of hope. But if you get unmessed up, I think this school would be glad they gave you a second chance. And, and you know, I come from a background where I have depression-aged parents, uh, and you're only worth what you can do in the world. If you can't do anything, you're not worth much. Uh, and he said, uh, uh, yeah, you are screwed up. And then he said to me, but even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything the rest of your life, so this is unconditional love, I'd be proud to know you. Because you have a streak of goodness in you that we don't grade in medical school. We should, but we don't. And you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness. And you won't know it till you're 35. So the second leg is I see a future for you, even if you don't. So unconditional love, he sees a future for me. And then the third leg is he says, look at me. And I'm crying. He says, look at me. And he points his finger at me and he says, you deserve to be on this planet and you're going to let me help you. Because if he had said, oh, if I can help you, give me a call, I would have gone back to my apartment. I wasn't the kind of person who would reach out for help. I might not be here today. So that trifecta of help, unconditional love, a future that I didn't see, and his going to bat for me against the medical school. He was just a PhD. He had to stand up to the medical school. And that flipped a switch in my head. And, uh, and so I took a second year leave of absence and I went to a place called the Menninger Foundation, which is still around. It's a big psychiatric institute now in Houston. It was in Topeka, Kansas. And I'm telling you, Kate, when I went there, I went there thinking, I'm either going to learn something or they're going to lock me up. And I got there, and maybe the dean was right, because I grew up in a suburb of Boston, and I'm connecting to schizophrenic farm men, young men and young women in Topeka, Kansas. I mean, I, I'm reaching them. I'm connecting with them. So I finished that, came back, finished medical school, went to UCLA, finished psychiatry. And for 35 years, I just paid it forward. What that dean of students did for me, that's all I did with my suicidal patients for 25 years, and none of them killed themselves. So I know that's a long story, Kate, but I hope there's a pony in there. That's oh, such a great story. I mean, and that's where I think, right, for most professions, but I always find in the medical profession, um, there's always a passion or a story behind all of us because you have to have, I mean, you know, but it's like, you got to give a lot, you know, to your patients, your clients, and you have to have that passion or that story driving you or you can get burnout. It can be really tough. Like, you know, I'm sure it pushed you to finish medical school and then to really love your job. Um, but no, I think that's such such a great story and such a great way. Like you said, it's just paying it forward. And I think it also shows us that that dean of students, just one person, how much you can have an impact on someone's life, just being one person and showing that kindness um, and taking like that just that extra step and going that extra mile for someone how much it really can help someone. And because it feels good, like we all love helping, right? We all want to help and uh, we really can have an imp impact on others, even if we don't know it, you know? 
So something I need to share with your audience, because if your audience and you shared with me that uh, it's predominantly women, uh, men occasionally visit, but it's, you know, hardworking women between 25 and 50. One of my passion projects currently, and people listening in, please reach out to me. Someone who I've become very close to is a fellow named Jason Reed. He's a serial entrepreneur, and his 14-year-old son died by suicide five years ago. And his son left a suicide note saying, tell my story. And Jason created a documentary called Tell My Story. It's on Amazon Prime. And he interviewed families, teens who had once been suicidal, experts. That's how I met him. And what was most riveting were when the teens talked about their low point. So what happened is Jason has created a new documentary called What I Wish My Parents Knew, because it's what he wished he had known, but he was too late. You can find out more at tellmystory.org. And he is on a mission to help parents, as he says, own the mental health of your children. You own their physical health. You've got to own their mental health. You can't depend on the mental health profession because it's, it's just too fragmented. And so he and I do presentations, and we're in line to do 500 this year to high schools or to show the video, What I Wish My Parents Knew. And it won't be on YouTube or Netflix because these 10 teenagers who we asked, tell me about your low point, are just so honest and vulnerable that we don't want the haters to attack them. And he talks about his story, all the signs that he missed with his son. And then I talk about how to reach your, your child if you're worried about them. So I want to give some tactics and advice because the parents are always saying, how do we reach our kids? You know, because when you, when you watch the video, uh, you're just riveted. And when we do the presentation, before we show the video, I tell parents, write down these five words. Complain, blame, excuses, threats, moody. Complain, blame, excuses, threats, moody. Because this is the way teenagers are. And when they're that way, they trigger their parents to be frustrated, afraid, concerned. But when they trigger their parents, their parents can't be empathic. Because what a lot of these teenagers talk about is they didn't tell anyone how they felt at their low point, especially their parents. Because what they didn't realize is that they triggered their parents, and triggered parents are not able to be empathic. And when you watch the video, these teenagers just talk about a low point but they're not complaining, blaming, making excuses, threats, or being moody. And so when parents see it, they see their teenagers. Oh my God, this is what my teen is feeling underneath all of that. And they go home and when they see their teenagers, they cry and their teenagers say, what's the matter, mom? What's the matter, dad? And mom and dad say, we just realize how much we love you. So it's changing. I've been looking for this for 25 years, Kate. And, and so I want to give some tactics to your listeners because it may be that some of them are listening and saying, he's talking about our kid. And one of the tactics that we give is something we call the four prompts. And the way you do this, if you're worried about one of your kids, is you do when you're doing an errand together or when you're driving a car. Uh, because teenagers hate heart-to-heart -heart talks. I mean, it is nails on a chalkboard. If they initiate it, you're good to go. But if you initiate it, they hate it. So while you're doing an errand, this is the exact script. Hey, honey, uh, a lot of us parents are worried about our kids worried about the pandemic, worried about the schools being closed, worrying about all the shootings and everything. And I'm one of those parents. Can I run some things by you? You know, 
would that be okay? And if you're lucky, your teenager will say, okay, mom, okay, mom, okay, dad. And again, you're driving a car, you know, so it's not too heart to heart. And, you, and here are the four prompts. The first one is, at its worst, how awful are you capable of feeling about your life or yourself? And they're going to go, what? Yeah, at its worst, how awful are you capable of feeling about your life or yourself? Pretty awful. And there's a technique I developed from all my suicide work called surgical empathy, where you drill down and you say, pretty awful or very awful? Okay, ma, okay, dad, very awful. And you have them talk about it. Second prompt, when you're feeling that, how alone do you feel? Pretty alone. Pretty alone or all alone? Okay, ma, okay, dad, all alone. Yeah. Tell us about that. Third prompt, take me to the last time you felt it. Was it 2.30 in the morning a couple nights ago when we heard you walking around in your room? And, and something interesting happens is when you can get that child of yours to describe in detail what they were going through so you can see it, they re-feel it, but they're not alone. Yeah, I couldn't get to sleep. So what happened next? Well, I had a test the next day. It was driving me crazy. I felt like kicking the wall. Ugh. What happened next? I started looking for cough medicine. I couldn't find it. Oh, what happened next? The sun rose. And then the fourth prompt is, and hopefully if you do this, you may have earned the right to have them make eye contact. And you say, honey, look at me. What? Look at me. I have a favor to ask you. Yeah. Next time you feel that way, you're heading down that road, I want you to do whatever it takes to get your dad or my undivided attention. Because we got a million things in our minds. But there is nothing more important to us than helping you to feel less alone when you feel that bad. Would you do that, honey? So could you track with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just love, Mark, that like I'm sitting here thinking like you're giving people the exact words to say, which often, right, like even on podcasts or even some documentaries, it's like there always leads a little bit to the imagination of like, oh, well, based on your family, then you, you know, create a dialogue that's X, Y, and Z. And obviously you can adjust a little bit of what you said with how you're talking to your kids. But I just love that you gave people like, here's what you do. Here's exactly what you do. And it may be emotionally taxing or consuming, but like you said, I mean, trying to get your teenager or adolescent or even child to sit down and talk to you for, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes can be a lot. And it's concise and to the point. And, you know, we were talking about before we started recording sometimes just people acknowledging that there's something going on with you and then asking you about it can unlock all the doors to healing. You know, I mean, I even know that for myself. It's like, it, and you were sharing with us, like even asking certain CEOs, hey, there's something, I'm picking up on something going on here. You know, what's going on? And then they just, all of a sudden, all the floodgates open. And a lot of the time, it's like, we really just need someone to ask us how we're doing. And not just, you know, how many times a day do we say, oh, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? And what does everyone say? Good, good, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> but really to sit down and, and take the time to ask people what's happening, prod a little bit if you know there's something more, and then listen, which you're an expert at. <laughs> now, I want to share something else for your audience. That, uh, And tell me if you think you've noticed this, or you may notice it in the next few years, Kate. 
It's something that I'm called Millennial Married with Children Impatience Syndrome. Millennial Married with Children Impatience Syndrome. Something that I'm noticing, and I, I hope I'm wrong, but it could be epidemic. What I'm noticing is that millennials, younger generation, are incredibly impatient about everything. They're just impatient. And they'll often talk faster than I can think. And, and, and they talk that fast, the husbands and wives. Blah, 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 blah. It's amazing. I, I, I can't follow what my, my children and their husbands are even saying. But then you have a child, you have an infant who demands a kind of patience that you don't have. And what happens is that the child won't sleep through the night. The child won't feed. And you as, if you're the young mother, you're the primary caretaker. I mean, you're working, but you're a caretaker also. And dads try to help out, but they're, you know, somewhere between clueless and helpful. And what I'm noticing, and I'm bringing this up, is that a young, a lot of young, overworked, overwhelmed women, uh, when their children just won't sleep through the night, won't feed, worry the heck out of them, what happens is you get angry at your kid, but you don't want to feel that you're angry at them because then you feel like a lousy mother. It's too threatening. And so what I'm noticing, and I'm just seeing this, you know, I'm seeing this because I have grandchildren and we'll go to the T-ball and I watch the couples. And what'll happen is I'm seeing in a lot of marriages that the overwhelmed, overworked young mother, a good mother, uh, doesn't want to feel angry at her child, so she will immediately displace it on her husband and snap at him. And he doesn't know what hit him. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I mean, he is like Bambi coming in from the woods and he just got shot by the hunters. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm seeing a lot of this and it bothers me. And here, if you're listening and this is touching a nerve, I'm glad because I don't touch a nerve and leave you out on a limb. If you can relate to this, if you were to say to your husband, I feel like I'm a terrible mom. I feel like I shouldn't have had kids. I so wanted this child, and all I am is frustrated. All I am is just angry. Why won't they sleep? Why won't they eat? You know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be a mom. And I think if you can bare your neck to your husband without snapping at him and blaming him, he's going to say, you're the best mom. You're the best mom that this kid could have. I, I wish I had you as a mom. You're just exhausted. But those conversations aren't happening. So can, can, do you follow? Oh, I can, I can, oh, I can definitely identify. I mean, I have a, I have a 17 month old and we're due with, you know, our necks just around the corner. And I think you, I mean, I can also just thinking about my friends who have had kids or family and yet yeah, they are, they're so excited to have this child. And then the baby's here and you see the frustration. And I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with this millennial married impatient syndrome. And it goes back to which, you know, I've been in therapy for years and I've, you know, always been told it's so much better to be vulnerable and express how you're feeling versus just reacting, which is like what you were just talking about with, you know, just snapping at your husband versus telling him how you're really feeling. And I, I mean, how can most new parents not relate to it, you know? And so I think my question for you with that is what can 
you know, whether it's that millennial population or new new parents or even parents who right, like they got a whole crew of kids already, but they're they're still identifying with what you're saying. How can we support ourselves to be better parents who then can support our kids' mental health because we're supporting our own? Because I definitely find, which of course, right? When we're stressed out and not taking care of our own mental health, that is when our fuse is shorter. We're going to snap more. Um, And then immediately after you snap or you get upset with your kids and you know kind of deep down it's really not them. Or even if they did do something, like I always remind myself, I'm like, my son has only been on this planet for a year and a half. Like he's only a year and a half old. Like he doesn't know what he's doing, even though it may seem like they do. And you're like, oh, my child's so smart. They're so young and little, but you feel awful after if you get upset or snap, especially if you know it's really something that's going on internal for you and has nothing to do with your kids. So what can we do as parents, as adults to help, whether it's, you know, I don't want to say reduce our stress because, right, we could talk about that for, but what can we do to support our mental health to ensure that we're able to really be there for our kids as they grow up and they feel comfortable enough to talk to us, like how you know, we're able to have those conversations like you originally described to us if we realize um, our kids may be struggling a bit. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. I mentioned before we started the uh, the interview that I'm a co-host of a show on UKHealthRadio.com, UK as in the United Kingdom. And my co-host and I do a show called Hurt Less, Live More. And it's the same population that listen to those shows, that listen to this podcast. And we were trying to figure out how do we help overworked, overwhelmed working women who are moms and have jobs. And at first, we were going to give it a title because I had a book called Get Out of Your Own Way. It's done very well, and you can read it and whatever. But I thought I put myself in the shoes of those women And I thought, oh, the last thing I need is more advice when I'm overwhelmed, you know. And and then I put myself in their shoes, and I said to my co-host, this wonderful woman, Scottish uh, journalist, uh, reporter, I said, I think they just want to hurt less. And, And I think that there is a global epidemic of hurt, fear, phobia, and that when people feel hurt, or afraid, they run from it into eating, drinking, anger. They do everything they can to get away from it because the vulnerability scares them. Oh, if if I realize how hurt I am, I'll get depressed. If I realized how uh, how afraid I am, I'll have a panic attack. And and we feel that there's a global phobia in people running away from feeling hurt and feeling afraid. And so in answer to your question, I think if instead of blaming or or displacing it onto your husband, you can just pause and feel the hurt, feel the fear, and share it with your husband, who you're not blaming, an interesting thing happens. And here's a moment of uh, neurobiology. When you can do that, and your husband reassures you, you're just tired, but you're the best, you're going to start crying with relief because what he is just, what you and he have just shared is a burst of something called oxytocin. You've made an emotional connection. And what your listeners, most of them don't know, is high oxytocin counteracts high cortisol. You can look it up, oxytocin, cortisol. Mm -hmm. And high cortisol is what happens when you're stressed out. And when you're stressed out and your cortisol is high, it actually triggers something in your brain called an amygdala. And an amygdala is in your brain, and it causes you to go into fight or flight. And the blood flow goes from your thinking brain to your survival brain, and you can't think. 
And what happens is when you can get that emotional connection, emotional bonding and high oxytocin, cortisol goes down, your amygdala settles down, the blood flow goes from your survival lower brain to your upper brain, and you can think. After, and that's after you cry with relief. But the point is, that partner of yours is not going to be able to empathize with you if you're like what we talked about earlier, if you're like the teenager who's either complaining, blaming, making excuses or threats, or is moody. But if you show that just raw, God, sometimes I just think I'm a lousy mom. Why? I snapped at our kids. You know, I, I were driving and I almost got into an accident and I turned around and I saw our kid in the car seat and I just said, shut up. Well, you did that, honey, because you got scared. You got scared that you could get into an accident. And then after you got scared, you added insult to injury by screaming at our kid. It's okay. Um, you're the best mom I've ever met. And you're the best woman I've ever met. Hey, there's not going to be a dry eye in the audience with that, Kate. <laughs> I know. I'm actually thinking, I'm like, if your partner isn't this supportive, just play this podcast at little increments. And Dr. Christine can tell you you're a great parent or a great mom. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this hits home so much. So here's something that, you can do. Yeah. Sometimes, because a lot of your listeners will say, uh, and it's interesting, uh, when our children were young, I would give talks to preschools and whatever. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of times the parents would come in. And I didn't do this on purpose, but a lot of the moms would elbow their husbands to say, you should be more like Dr. Goldston. <laughs> That's, I am thinking, I'm like, what if you're, because it, it, it takes two to tango, right? So it also takes your partner being, one, listening, taking the time to listen to you, because I can't say every person's partner, like if your husband's working all day and he's coming home and he's watching TV and you're trying to tell him your feelings. So here's how you That prime. he will be, yeah. So how do you, how do you prime them? Here's how you prime the pump. Um, <laughs> the world is defenseless against a heartfelt, sincere apology. And if when you're calmer, you say to your husband, uh, when you have time, I'd like to speak to you because I owe you an apology. What? I didn't do something wrong today? <laughs> Uh, no, that's another story. I got a list of those. But I owe you an <laughs> well, what's this about? I take everything that stresses me out on you because I see you as safe. Mm -hmm. And that's not right. And I'm not telling you I'm going to stop. I'm just telling you it's not right. And I'm sorry. And uh, I just wanted you to know that. I am telling you, he will melt. Just like how vice versa, right? If your husband were to, or partner were to say that to you, right? Like you would melt just as much. I think something that's um, my husband and I, we've been, you know, which I love, honestly, I think couples therapy is one of the most amazing things. And it just helps you kind of like have some of these conversations, learn how to, and you also get so stuck in your, your routines and ways you've done things. And one piece of, or I should, I should say strategy that I love is Finding a time for every couple, I I honestly prefer it more so at the end of the day. Um, 
because then you've had a whole day and a lot of stuff has happened, especially if you have a, you know, a newborn or young kids um, or older kids too. Just that little check-in, like just to consistently have a check-in at the end of the day, whether that's like, right, all the kids are in bed, you guys finally plopped on the couch and it doesn't be long, but just to check in, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And it just allows a space to have these conversations and a normalcy about it versus, you know, maybe one partner sitting there like, oh, like I want to bring this up, but we're finally getting the chance to just like relax right now. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too emotional or they can go in their own head. But if you just create that normalcy of having a nightly check-in, just like how you would in the morning, like a check-in for schedules. Okay. What's on the schedule today? Like who's picking up who, you know, let's go through it. Having that nighttime check-in um, and getting out some of that emotion, just like how, you know, studies have shown that journaling before bed can be so powerful and, um, or, you know, also showing gratitude before bed. It's just, you get out those thoughts and you'll probably sleep much better that night having, you know, said what you need to say and um, just having that time, you know, to connect. I'm a big fan of oxytocin. I'm so happy you brought it up. I mean, for anyone listening, like it's what most of us crave. Like when we want to cuddle with someone, it's because we get the release of oxytocin. Um, it also, if you are a new parent and you're breastfeeding, it will help you there as well. Um, and that's like, it's something we crave. I always say, I'm like, if we could bottle up oxytocin and like take it as a pill, it would be amazing because it really is like our, it's just that feel good, feeling safe anecdote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the check-in is great. I, I think uh, also if you have young children, uh, something that is helpful is, and if you do a bedtime story, is to ask them, what's the best thing that happened to you today and what was the worst thing? And you don't jump in to give them advice. And then you say, what are you most excited about tomorrow? And what are you most nervous about? And you get them to express it. And what you're teaching them is that they're expressing it, getting that burst of oxytocin that you're both going to feel towards each other is really great. And then you check in you know, the next day. How did that turn out? But that's a, that's a great thing. I also want to give some parenting tips that I screwed up on, uh, but it's too late. My kids are grown. Uh, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. It's doing pre it's done pretty well. It's in the top 0.5% globally. It's in 40 countries. and. And I get people who are the most empathetic all the way to Jordan Peterson. And uh, a friend of mine is a fellow named Nolan Bushnell. He created uh, Atari, Chuck E. Cheese, and he was Steve Jobs' first boss. And he is a legend in Silicon Valley. And he shared with me these parenting tips that I missed out on. And I'm glad to be sharing them with your audience because I think it would have made a a difference with my kids. I love my kids and they have each other's backs and we're blessed. I would like them to be slightly less uptight, you know, but you know, they're a shrink's kid. What are you going to do? They're, probably all shrink's kids are uptight. Uh, but here was his advice and he's a character and please take this to heart because it was brilliant. Uh, and he's a character and he said, you know, Mark, I graduated 247th in my college class at 247. So I figured either I was stupid or I was distracted. And what I've told my eight kids, because he's had a couple marriages, he said, what I've told all my kids is grades are not important. Grades are unimportant. Now, it'd be helpful for you to not flunk out if we're paying for your school, but, you know, they're not important. He said, the only thing that's important is what did you learn today that could be turned into an action that got a result? And don't expect the result to be great. When we started Atari, the first models were junk. 
But what did you learn today that could be turned into an action? And what was the result of it? And you keep improving. And then he said also, this was also brilliant. He said, don't ask your kids when they come home from school, how was school? What'd you learn today? He said, they've had a hundred questions asked them all day. They don't want to hear another question. That's why they don't answer them with big full sentences. He said, what I would do, what we do uh, at dinner, but you also have to be someone who is insatiably curious, which Nolan is. And instead of saying, what'd you learn today, where you're checking a box, which your kid resents, he would say to them, teach me one thing you learned today. That's different. What? Yeah, teach me something you learned today. And he said, and when you show enthusiasm to your child, which may be difficult to come up with if you're stressed out, he said, your children's eyes light up. They tell you what they learn. And when you show enthusiasm to that, they, they learn it even deeper. They own it. And it's amazing what they have to teach you. And then he had another tip. He said, every Sunday, I would take a different kid and we'd go to brunch. And I would say, uh, and I would make sure it's a 45-minute drive each way to a, to a place that neither of us has eaten. He said, because when you're stuck with each other, you're going to have a conversation. And when you go there, it's not like the same delicatessen, the same whatever, you know, ordering the same stuff. He said, you go to a place and you're just both curious. He said, I remember I took my daughter to this place and my daughter leaned forward and said, uh, Dad, they all look so unhappy. And I said, we're in a fishing village. I think they just got off the boat. And I thought that was brilliant. And then the final thing he said is, I love to travel with my kids. And even though people see me as this techie, you know, I like artistic stuff. And I would say to my kids, whenever we go to another city, I want you to memorize a poem. I don't care how short or how long. And each day, I want you to memorize a poem on our trip, and I'll give you $5 spending money. He said, I would have given them the spending money anyway. But when you're doing that, you're just, you're just stretching their mind into a, a poetic thing. And if you're visiting some other country, they're more curious, you know, about the, the museum, the vineyards or something like that. So I just wanted to share that because I'm zero for three on that advice. And, uh, uh, and again, my kids are great. They have each other's back, but I wish I had done what Nolan did. No, I love that, especially the one about, I mean, I think every parent's like almost dreads asking how was school today because you know you're going to get an answer or you may just get a grunt. But even just phrasing it differently and saying, teach me and having that enthusiasm of teach me something you learned today is such great advice. Dr. Coulson, this has been, I mean, invaluable information, not only for myself, but our listeners. We do love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A so our listeners can get to know you better. So first thing that comes to mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? This will be depressing. I have something called the Dead Mentor Society. I have eight mentors, beginning with that dean of students, ending with Larry King from CNN, and before him, a fellow named Warren Bennis. And uh, I think what we had in common is we loved each other. And so whenever I'm stressed out, or whenever I've done a podcast and I think I've been too tangential, I'll call up one of them. And I think this one this one went pretty well, so I don't have to call up Larry King and say, Larry, I did it again. What? Mark, I'm not even dead. I'm not even cold yet. What is this? Oh, I did it again. I was telling stories. I didn't finish them. I said, here are four points. I couldn't remember. Mark, Mark, what do the hosts think? Oh, I think they want me back. Mark, could you put a sock in it already? Let me rest in peace. <laughs> but, but the point is, for me, Thinking of and remembering people who love me, who I miss, 
I get a flood of oxytocin. Forget about it. Oh, I love that. And that's, you know what? That's an answer we're never going to get. I love that. Um, okay. This one's not as in depth, but coffee or tea? Should do tea, but I drink coffee. I, I do a that's little bit of Yeah, there's nothing wrong with coffee. How, and how do you take your coffee? Like, what do you, do you take it black or? Oh, I put in, you know, some sort of, a, uh, some sort of, you know, something free milk. I don't even know what it is. And then, uh, you know, some, uh, one of those sweeteners you get at a uh, Starbucks. Perfect. Okay. This is my personal favorite question. And our final one, what is your favorite home cooked meal? Takeout. <laughs> Any specific takeout? <laughs> uh, I got to watch my diet. But I, I could eat pizza every day. Hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to that one. There's a lot of things you've said today that people can relate to, and that is probably definitely one of them. <laughs> oh, that's such a great answer, too. Um, well, is there anything, Dr. Wilson, before we wrap up that we haven't touched on or that I'm curious, like, that in your own day that you practice every day as, you know, a daily healthy wellness, non-negotiable to support your own mental health that you think could be a great piece of advice for our listeners. So I collect quotes and uh, uh, there was, there's one quote that knocked all the other quotes off the table. And that comes from a Dr. Shawnee Duperon. And with Desmond Tutu, they formed something called Project Forgive. It was nominated for a Nobel Prize. It didn't get it. And the quote from Shawnee Duperon is, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Yeah. Let it land. Because you can do that. Yep. I, I did that with... My uh, deceased father, you know, and it, who, you know, he, he was the Prussian age. He did, you know, he worked hard. I, I think he was overwhelmed supporting a family, but he was a good dad. And so when I heard that, I imagined him giving me an apology for some of the things he could say and tell me, you know, I was scared. And I said, you know, I know what that's like because I've had to raise three kids too and support them. And uh, it changed my, it changed my, it turned my head around because after I accepted his apology, he died 25 years ago, I realized I had to apologize to him for holding a grudge. And I said, you know, you did the best you could. And I can finally say the, uh, uh, the six words I hadn't been able to say, which is, uh, I love you. I miss you. Yeah. No, I, it's so true that, you know, I feel like every, whether it's through therapy or hearing other people speak it, you know, it's not, we really, none of us should wait for apologies to show forgiveness because all it does is like you said, hold, it's worse for us too. It holds that grudge. It doesn't allow us to be truthful and vulnerable with our own feelings. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Goulston for being so honestly vulnerable in this podcast and honest with our listeners and giving them real tangible ways to speak to their children speak to their partners speak to ourselves honestly right like just our self-talk um where can people learn more connect with you um you know if there are certain books you want to highlight but you know how can we listen more to some of the topics we talked about today so here's a bunch of things you can go to markgulston.com and that's relatively up to date g-o-u-l-s-t-o-n.com you can go to Amazon. I have nine books there. My book, Just Listen, uh, became the top book on listening in the world and recently was listed as the fourth best communication book of all time. Uh, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call, which has done pretty 
Bell, and I have everyone from Larry King to Jordan Peterson and in between. Uh, we have a weekly radio show on UK Health Radio, Hurt Less, Live More with uh, JJ and Dr. Mark. And, uh, and, uh, and LinkedIn is pretty, uh, uh, is pretty much up to date. And, uh, and, and I have a little bit of ADD mixed with Alzheimer's. So there's probably something else, but I can't remember. So I have one question for you. My last question yes. for you. Do I have to wake up Larry King to reassure me that I did okay? Not a chance. This was so great. I mean, honestly, I will say like a lot of things were unexpected that I weren't expecting us to talk about. But I mean, this is just which I feel so selfish sometimes when I'm hosting this podcast because I'm like, oh, this, this is just such great advice for myself. <laughs> but then I remember we have so many listeners and so many people that, you know, can relate and help. And again, I just feel so appreciative that you gave people there's no figuring out anything you said. You gave them exactly, here's what you can do. And like you said, for overworked parents or not parents, right? Overworked people or people who are stressed out and don't have, you know, maybe the time or the mental capacity to go that extra step and say, okay, well, they said this on the podcast. So now let me like, I have to dig a little bit deeper and figure out how I apply that to my own family. He just gave us the tools. And I appreciate that so much as a young parent <laughs> with a lot going on. I appreciate it. And I know our listeners do. So thank you so much. This week's actionable step is to use Dr. Goulston's specific language to have a more honest conversation with a loved one. Try it out. And remember, it may take some practice. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.